0: The temple was empty, the presence of God long neglected, traditions long forgotten. A community turning from selfish devotion, remembering their first love, they began working and preparing a place that was ready to worship God. A people worshiping, singing, reading scripture, lifting up praise to the King of Kings, Collectively giving the first share of what they produced, they freed up the church to bless and serve people around them. A natural invitation poured out for others to experience God's redemptive plan. This is the story of the church, restored to its former glory, to what God intended it to be. This was Hezekiah's revival, our pathway to awakening. As Rick said, I do hope you're hungry. I hope that there's this longing in your soul to be fed from the word of God, to hear from the voice of God to feel an awakening in your soul as you come alive to him. This series, Awakening, that's what it's all about. It's about a people coming alive to God, feeling that passion beating in their hearts as their love, their affection for the Lord grows. And not just as individuals, but corporately. We're praying for a church-wide spiritual awakening. We've been studying the awakening of King Hezekiah. During his days, the, the people of, of Judah went from a place of spiritual death to an explosion of spiritual vitality. And we're figuring out what they did so we can do the same thing and, Lord willing, experience the same results. And what, what have we learned so far? Can I just remind everybody? Week one, we discovered that one of the keys to an awakening is serving the Lord. The Levites, or priests, were called to a life of service unto God. And the Bible says that we are priests, the priests of all believers. And we've discovered that we must step up in service to the Lord and say, God, I'm not here to live for myself. I'm here to live for you. Serve. I'll serve wherever you want in your church to advance your cause. And then last week, week two, we learned of the importance of worship. In the days of Hezekiah, he called the musicians to dust off their instruments and tune them up. And get ready for song to resound and the celebration of God to fill the land. And worship was a means by which the people fell in love with God together. That, that was awakening their souls. And so we've learned. And we're going to be devoted to the worship of God corporately through music. And now week three, we're going to look at outreach. Outreach is this commitment to go beyond our walls and to recognize that there are many people in our community far from God and say, Lord, how can you use us to reach them and help them find new life in Jesus Christ? Sound good? I want to start with a story, uh, a true story. It happened to me a couple years ago. Uh, My family and I were on vacation in Puerto Rico, We'd never been there before, having a wonderful time. It happened to be my daughter, Jora, who's my oldest, her birthday while we were there. And I said, "Jora, what would you like to do for a birthday present? And she said, Dad, I've never gone snorkeling. I'd love to go snorkeling in like a coral reef. Could we do that? Well, I found this guy, Captain Tito was his name, colorful character, uh, much hair, much tattoo, much love for rum. Anyways, Captain Tito had a boat, barely seaworthy. This was the ugliest boat I've ever seen. But he did day excursions that included snorkeling. And so Jora and I just kind of had a daddy-daughter date that day, and we went on this boat, and the snorkeling was a blast, but it was what we did in the afternoon that I'll never forget. Captain Tito said, now we're going to go to an island, a little-known island, he said, with a beach that is the most beautiful beach on planet Earth. He said it's called Flamenco Beach. I have a picture of it here. Flamenco Beach was unbelievable. And when he said it's the most beautiful beach on planet Earth, that was just not his opinion, but he explained that many travel experts have been in pursuit of the most beautiful beach on planet Earth and determined Flamenco Beach is it. And so that opinion has been... uh, shared by many. Can you tell how beautiful it is? The water was so clear. It was this unbelievable aqua crystal color. As I was swimming in the ocean, I got a little freaked out when as crystal clear I saw my shadow on the the water, the floor of the ocean right there. I'm like, look at this, this is amazing. Yeah? The sand was this silky, fine, spongy sand. Every step you took, you know, just brought the light to your soul. I mean, it was unbelievable. I'm like, this place is amazing. And no one else there. There were 10 of us on the boat. Technically, there were two others. So together, 12 of us, or, uh, about 12 of us enjoyed this whole beach, huge beach to ourselves. It was pure Paradise. We got to know the people who were with us, and when we got back onto that boat, everybody was talking with each other, just celebrating how that was the most glorious place we've all ever been. And then uh, the, the captain, he passed out some food and some beverages, and he raised his glass and he said, Folks, to Flamenco Beach, you know, and we toasted Flamenco Beach. And then he said, he goes, it's one of the world's best kept secrets. He said, let's keep it that way. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Look what I'm doing, you know. (laughs) Uh, Don't tell Captain Tito. He will come after me if he finds out what I'm doing in this setting. But I found it ironic As, as we drove back on the boat, you know, all of us were celebrating and pledging to not tell anyone of this great paradise that we had discovered. And I couldn't help but think of the church of Jesus Christ in that moment. All too often, the church of Christ is like that little group on that boat, celebrating the paradise we have discovered in Jesus. Paradise both in this life and paradise promised in the next When I say paradise in this life, many of you know what I mean. Uh, So many of us have found the craving, the longing of our souls in Christ. We were once lost, aching for something more. And in friendship with our Creator, we have discovered a love that we never knew existed. We have discovered an identity as the adopted sons and daughters of the Almighty God. We have discovered a privilege of being able to follow his lead as he writes a beautiful story, creating our lives into something glorious. And we just say, this is what I was looking for. This is paradise. And as Christians, we come together to celebrate it, don't we? We we sing and we celebrate and we say, we've found it in him. We've discovered this life. And then without articulating it, our hearts say it silently, shh, don't tell anyone else what we've got. And you say, that's ridiculous, how can we do that? If this is so right and so good, it is a crime not to shout from the mountaintops the way to paradise. And so that's what we're going to talk about this crazy inconsistency that's found so often in me and maybe in you, this deep enjoyment of this precious treasure and this failure to share it widely with the world. Sound good? Hezekiah knew that. I I applaud Hezekiah. He said, it is wrong for us to enjoy this spiritual awakening and not spread it beyond. And so Hezekiah understood the key of outreach. So Let's take a look. We're going to study in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. I want to start with verse 2. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover. The Passover was the greatest, arguably the greatest, of the festivals, the celebrations in the calendar year of the Jewish people. It had long been neglected for decades. The Passover had not been celebrated. And Hezekiah cast a vision to his people. He says, let's renew the celebration of the Passover. He says, people, it's going to be amazing. Seven days we're going to get together and party. Party in honor of the Lord. He said, we're going to gather in Jerusalem, and there will be music echoing throughout the land that celebrates the glory of God. There will be the proclamation of the word, as many of you are going to hear it for the first time, he says, as the word is read and expounded on. There will be repenting of sins. There will be community and folks getting together and being the people of God. And he cast a vision, and I can imagine the people just getting so exciting. They said, I've never been a part of this Passover event in my lifetime. Heard about it. I can't wait for us to celebrate the Lord together. That's not the shocking part. The shocking part is this. Let me read verse 1. It says, Hezekiah also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. And I I would uh, uh, contend that is absolutely shocking. And you say, what's so shocking? Who's Ephraim? Who's Manasseh? And why is the invitation of them to the party such a shocking detail? Well, let me show you a map and begin to explain. In this map, we see Judah. Judah was the tribe, became the nation Uh, the people of God split at one point. The nation of Israel split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom that Hezekiah led out of Jerusalem was called Judah. Judah was made up technically of two tribes. The northern kingdom made up of 10 of the 12 tribes. The two biggest tribes to the north and the nearest neighbors to to Judah were Ephraim and Manasseh. These were northern tribes, part of Israel to the north. And one of the things you need to know about the northern tribes is that they abandoned the worship of God entirely. Every single one of their kings that reigned out of Manasseh, they were uh, horribly sinful and disobedient to the ways of God. They led the people into pagan religions And so, though these people had roots stemming back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were long since far away from that God. But not only were they spiritually lost, they were sworn enemies of Judah. For centuries, they had been warring peoples, even in the days of Hezekiah. When Hezekiah was a boy, one of the kings of the north. His name was Pekah. He came down with an army and in one day he slaughtered 120,000 people in Judah. It was called the great slaughter of Pekah. Hezekiah can remember this violent, hate-filled people. One of Hezekiah's brothers was one to be slaughtered on that horrific day. And hatred, just burned between these two peoples. And yet, Hezekiah says, guys, I have an idea. How about we invite Manasseh and Ephraim to our worship event? Can you imagine the conversations that echoed through the land? People are saying, what are you talking about? He says, well, they're far from God. Maybe they'd find God at our Passover celebration. Who cares if they find God or not? Let's let them rot in hell. You know, that was kind of the mindset maybe of many. But not Hezekiah. Hezekiah had this supernatural compassion and love for the people who everything naturally would mean you'd you'd hate them. Let's, Let's do something. Let's take a look at three basic steps that took place in the life of Hezekiah that led to his effective outreach. And the first is this. You got to love them. You got to love them. I mean, when Hezekiah wrote these letters to Ephraim and Asa, when he invited them to come, this is a demonstration of concern for these people. He had compassion on them. And folks, I just want to say that was a supernatural compassion. That was not a dynamic that arose in Hezekiah from his own inclinations of the flesh. That was the work of God's spirit in him. It was so strong. Check this out. Do you know what Hezekiah named his firstborn son? Manasseh. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? You know, when you, back then, naming was a very big deal. When you named your children, even today, it's a very big deal. Occasionally, uh, for example, one of my dear friends named his oldest son, Jeffrey, after me. And you talk about feeling honored. You talk about feeling loved and blessed. And similarly for Hezekiah to pick the most despised name in the land, say, that's my boy's name. What was he saying? He's saying, people, I know you all hate them, and I guess I'm bent that way too. But God's done a work in me, and I love People of Manasseh and Ephraim and all the northern tribes. In fact, I'm going to name my firstborn Manasseh. What a beautiful love for people far from God. This characterized Jesus. Did you know that? When Jesus came, you know what his nickname was? Friend of sinners. They used it as a ridicule, but Jesus embraced it as a compliment. Jesus said, Yeah, that's what I am. You're right. These people who are messed up and far from God, they are the love of my life. I have come to seek and save the lost, Jesus said. And so I have to ask you, and this is possibly going to hurt, I'll warn you, do a little self-evaluation. Between you and God right now, don't tell a soul, what is the level of love, of affection that you have for people who are far from God? It is very easy to be indifferent. Maybe as you think about it right now, you just have to confess, well, you know, Jesus wept when he looked over Jerusalem and he said that they are like sheep without a shepherd. He was filled with compassion, the Bible says. I don't feel that. No tears have come to my eyes as of late when it regards people who are wandering lost. Maybe we need to start praying that God would do the supernatural work that he did in Hezekiah, that he would do it in us. Maybe we need to say, God, by your spirit, awaken a love for people who are far from... I, I just haven't been bothered by their lost condition enough. Please. I, w- I will tell you, I'm praying that these days. It's been fun. My wife and I and my kids, we're meeting our new neighbors. You know, we're new uh, citizens of Naperville and uh, the... It's real fun, out on our street, you know, as we come out, the neighbors have come out to meet us. And as we stand on the sidewalk and talk, I've been saying, God, give me not just a little affection for them, make it an inferno that I cannot contain, a love for them that is so divine that it spurs me to pursue them relationally, evangelistically. Don't let me be cold. And you know what's happening? Already as I have these conversations, I feel this growing affection for these people I don't know as I'm first getting to know them. I would encourage you to join me in that prayer. I pray that we are a church that loves the world like Jesus did, that we would be called friends of sinners. That's number one love them. Number two, pursue them. And when I say pursue them, I don't mean go tackle them or something like that. I'm I'm talking about prioritizing them relationally, pursuing a friendship with them, making them uh, important to you. Uh, Look what King Hezekiah did, verse 6. It says, at the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel, that's the north, and Judah, that's the southern kingdom, with the letters from the king. These letters of invitation to the Passover. Hezekiah, if you can imagine, he said, I'm going to select ambassadors or couriers who will deliver these letters for me. Now, your thought, you know, you may imagine that those poor people who were assigned Ephraim and Manasseh, you know, that's where uh, you get killed, you know, they ought to be like, no, give me another mailing route, please, I want to go to a town within Judah, and Hezekiah said, no, I have chosen you to go north into Manasseh and Ephraim, I'm gonna die, maybe, but I've chosen you to go, you know. And that I would have expected that they would have kind of had the letter of invitation. They would have snuck into the town, thrown it, and then run like crazy, you know, back home. But that was not the case. As we read on, these couriers entered the land of darkness and not only read the invitation, but they interacted with the people. They talked about the king and the heart behind the invitation. They answered questions and received ridicule, but they relationally engaged with these people. These couriers were just that, ambassadors who went to these people far from God. And and here's the deal. We must pursue them. Sometimes Christians have a mentality of The fortress mentality. You know what a fortress mentality is? That's where we surround ourselves with other Christians and we try to minimize our interaction with people who are far from God because it's uncomfortable. And we find ourselves relationally isolated and insulated from the world that needs Jesus. That's not love. Love is when you really love those people, you go to them and you pursue the prioritization of a relationship with them. You say, let's get together, let's talk again and again and again, because it's out of relationship that trust is born, that authenticity is normal, and that outreach is effective. Uh, I'll show you a book that's convicted me as of late. Uh, You say, that's kind of a strange book to convict you, huh? Uh, My wife and I are kind of old-fashioned. We have a guest book. Some of you Recall these of old. A guest book is when you have folks over for dinner. You say, hey, would you sign our guest book? And they can uh, put their names down, and there's a place they can have a little message, jot a note of encouragement or whatever. And Jen and I, uh, a while back, we looked at our guest book, and it really bugged us. We were like, wow, wow, this reads like the who's who in the kingdom of God. The, they're all Christians. Look at all of these Bible verses and encouraging words that they've put. Where are the dirty, rotten pagans? There's none of them in here. You know, what's going on? And and Jen and I just said, this is no good. This is no good. We have done that very natural tendency of bonding with those we relate to most, who we share love for God. And Jen and I are, we're not good at this. I don't want to create a false perception, but we are striving to grow in prioritizing the relational pursuit of those who are far from God. And folks, that's essential. Isolation, fortress mentality, is death to the kingdom. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Well, there's one more. Not only do you need to love them and relationally pursue them. Next, Simply invite them. One of the things I love about this passage is that Hezekiah has this inkling that though they are not children of God yet, that being at this worship event called the Passover Festival will be powerful in their lives and potentially awakening in them a realization of the reconciliation that's available through the grace of God. And so Hezekiah says, invite them. Remember, I'm going back to verse 1. Invite them. Invite them to this event. And folks, we can do the same thing. Admittedly, and this doesn't work in all cultures. There are some cultures where inviting non-believers to a worship event is pure folly. They just aren't going to do it. But we are blessed to live in a culture that when you invest, when you love, when you have friends who are Far from the Lord. And you say, hey, would you like to visit our church with us sometime? Not always, but sometimes they will come. And I am committed, we are committed as staff, for the Compass Church to be a church that is primarily committed in our service to edify believers, but is secondarily committed to making this a place where non-Christians can understand and learn the essence of our faith. And so one of the greatest, if, if you lead them to the Lord in your family room and they accept Christ without ever coming to church, fantastic, I would love that. But if in your evangelistic efforts, inviting them to church would be a natural and comfortable way to do it, that can be so powerful for so many reasons. For one, they meet other Christians and they're like, wow, Christians are a little more normal than I thought, you know. And then, some of you would be an exception to that, but uh, <laughs> again, we, they see the worship, and they realize, well, I'm not sure what's going on here, but these people think God's in the house, and they recognize that at its core, Christianity is a love relationship with this God. They see it in our song, and as they hear the word of God taught, the Lord is described from God's word, and the life with the Lord is described from God's word, and it begins to make sense to them, and the gospel is proclaimed, and through invitation, they can find Christ. And so, just like the couriers of the uh, days of Hezekiah, you are all commissioned to be couriers as well. Just as they brought an invitation, we wanted to give you a little invitation you can bring. Uh, as you leave the services today, you'll be given one, two. A hundred, however many you want. But this is a little card of invitation. It's got stuff for kids and teens to invite. It's got the Rend Collective concert that's coming up you can invite. Then one side is our next series. Uh, It's called The Stranger. The Stranger is a study of the identity of Jesus Christ, the heart of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be very powerful for all of us who are Christians but it will be especially powerful for those who are not. And so, you know, you can come to your neighbor with this card, and you can say, hey, I don't know if you're interested, but I just wanted to let you know that we're starting a new series. It's going to be in the middle of September when it starts. Uh, Would you like to come? It's a series called The Stranger. It's about getting to know this Jesus. I think you would enjoy it. And you can extend this to them and say, you think about it. Folks, you can be a courier. You can be an ambassador. You can be an evangelist. And you say, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to work. Let me me show you. Uh, Be encouraged. Uh, They failed back then too, just like you. So here's how uh, it works. Verse 10. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. Scripture is no Pollyanna picture of everything going smoothly. There's truth here. The people mocked them and said, yeah, right, I'm going to come to your Passover event. But one of the things that I love about this, the couriers were going from town to town to town as far north as Zebulun. Even though they were being ridiculed as they went, they kept going. There was a, a perseverance demonstrated by these couriers. If you like, try it once, if you say, hey, uh, I was wondering if you want to come to our church service, and the people are like, no. And you're like, I'm never doing that again. Wow, that was terrible. You know, that's not going to work. You got to say, well, that was a fail. But let's try again, and let's try again, and let's try again. And those who persevere find success. Let me read verse 11. Nevertheless, some from Asher, some from Manasseh, some from Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Some of them said, You know what? I would like to go. I have been very curious about this Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thank you for that invitation. Don't tell anybody I'm going but I'd like to check it out. And some came for them, and some will come for us if we do this thing. Well, what happens next? They start coming, uh, this is so interesting. All these uh, people far from God start attending this worship event, the Passover. And Hezekiah realizes that none of them are clean. Their, their lives are messed up. They haven't done the purity rituals and the holy living that God demands. And as they enter into this sacred assembly, Hezekiah goes, Oh, we got really messed up people here. And look what he prays. Verse 18, Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, even if they are not clean, according to the rules of the sanctuary. (laughs) Their sanctuary was filled with people who were unclean. And Hezekiah says, Lord, I know you call us to holy living, and I know we're all failures, I I understand you to be good, and I, I trust that you will pardon those who are seeking you who are still messed up, but they're here. And of course, he nailed the gracious heart of God in that prayer. God says, yes, 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 yes. Let me just warn you. When we invite folks who are far from God, whose lives are distant from God's plan into our community, it gets messy, doesn't it? We suddenly have divorce, and we've got abuse, and we've got addiction in our midst. And God says, that's my plan, that the lost would be invited, and that they would be found, and they'd be forgiven, and they would be sanctified and purified over time. And so we need to be ready for our lives to get messy. Sometimes when you start pursuing those who are far from God, you're like, oh man, this would have been a lot easier had I just ignored them because now I'm in their stuff and it's tough. That is okay. That messiness brings a smile to God's face because that's what the church that's reaching out looks like. Amen. How did it go? (laughs) Well, that Passover was such a hit At the end of seven days of celebrating God, of worshiping, repenting of sin, finding reconciliation with him, uh, Hezekiah stood up and he said to everybody, all right, thanks for coming. Wow, this was great. Let's do it again next year. Same time, same place, Passover again. Goodbye, everybody. And you know what they started doing? They started saying, we want more. We want more. And Hezekiah was like, what do I do? What do I do? Do you know what the Bible records? Hezekiah said, All right, seven more days of celebration of the Passover. And for a second week, they continued the festival. That's the powerful awakening that occurred uh, in that day. I want to close by sharing uh, a story of my wife as an encouragement to you because maybe you're still struggling with this. I can't do that. There are some who are so gifted in evangelism and outreach, but not me. There's no way that I could ever, I've never been used by God to help somebody find him. I never will be used by God. That's kind of the pessimism that your soul has adopted. Uh, My wife, uh, she, a couple years back, was really disappointed with the lack of evangelistic activity in her life. And she started praying about it. She said, God, please use me. And she goes, I don't feel qualified I don't feel capable, but I want to be used by you to help somebody find you. And uh, she asked me to pray. And she, so, she said, sometimes I feel isolated. She said, I, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and so I'm not out there in the job place where I could meet people. And so would, could we pray that God would provide me an opportunity? And so Jenna and I prayed towards that end. And then uh, a couple years ago, actually probably four years ago now, Uh, My son, Jake, was recommended by his school that he needed some speech therapy, and the school recommended a speech therapist who would actually come to our house to provide this uh, special uh, service to Jake. And I'll show you a picture of the speech therapist. Here is my wife, Jen, and her friend, Cynthia, and you can tell by their elation and their cheeks pressed together, they're, they're no strangers anymore. Well, Cynthia came over, speech therapist, and Jen just loved on her. My wife has the gift of hospitality, and so after the one-hour speech therapy treatment, Jen would say, can I get you a cup of coffee? Coffee is a powerful tool in the hands of God sometimes, huh? And so uh, they'd sit after Jake's speech therapy and drink their coffee and talk. Uh, every time they got together, there was one hour of therapy, one hour of coffee. And I had to clarify at a certain point: am I paying for two hours or one? I just want to know, you know. <laughs> Jen assured me just one hour. Well, every time those two ladies would sit on this couch, Indian style, holding their cup of coffee, facing each other, and talk about life, about kids, about problems about joys, and when it got to the end of where Jake didn't need any more help, my wife took a courageous step. He said, Cynthia, I've so enjoyed getting together with you. Even though Jake's not going to be continuing to use your services, would you be interested in getting together for coffee continually, you know, once a week? And Cynthia said, yes, I would love to. I have enjoyed this as well. And so every week they'd sit on the couch together. And as their friendship grew, one day Cynthia Looked at Jen and said, There is something missing in my soul, and I think it's God. What do you think? Is that an opportunity, maybe? I don't know. You know? <laughs> and my wife shared with greater clarity what Christ had done in her life. And then my wife said, Would you like, you don't go to church, would you like to come to our church? And Cynthia said, What's it like? Jen said, Well, the preaching's no good. But beyond that, my wife said, uh, Beyond that, I think you'd you'd like it, you know. Cynthia came. Cynthia invited her husband who came. Both her husband and she received Christ. I had the privilege of baptizing them both. And Cynthia and her husband, they are on fire for Jesus Christ. Cynthia said to my wife, let's start a small group together. And so a bunch of ladies from the neighborhood joined weekly in a small group co led by Jen and Cynthia. And now, as my wife departs, Cynthia is stepping up to take that leadership role. And it was interesting when a few weeks ago we moved out of our house, my wife came to me and she said, Jeff, I want to give Cynthia our couch. She says, I I know that she needs a couch. I know that she loves our couch, and that couch is sacred. That's where our friendship started. That couch is where our friendship grew. That couch is where I shared the good news of Jesus. That couch is where she gave her life to Christ. And I'm like, but that's an expensive couch, you know? (laughs) And I said, that's a great idea, honey. Let's do it. And so, a few weeks ago, Jen said, hey, Cynthia, I want you to have this couch. And Cynthia bawled. Jen bawled. And I may have even shed a few tears myself. There is nothing more sacred on planet Earth than being used by God to help a precious soul whom Christ died for find reconciliation and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And God wants to use you and me in that way. Let's pray for an awakening. Lord, we thank you so much for the calling you've placed on our lives to be your ambassador of light in a dark world. And God, we want to do it. We're chickens and we're Fearful and we hide. But God, put that past behind and give us the heart of Jesus Christ to be couriers of the gospel, to be friends of sinners. Would you please, God, give us the love and the courage necessary to pursue friendships with the folks you have in mind. Lead us to them. Tell us what steps to take. We will follow. We pray this in Jesus' name.